Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. You'll be great, Joanna, don't worry. Yeah, for sure. Luke has brought Dan, that he's uh, really experienced one with podcasts, so <laughs> no worries at all. Yeah, thanks. So, how do we start? You, you start we start talking some chit-chat about breakfast or... <laughs> That's how it usually starts, right? Ian is the master at this kind of seamless transition into uh, into starting it. I always just sort of like, I don't know, I, I could never do that personally. <laughs> yeah, I think I prefer just go straight to business. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to know what I have for breakfast, I had a bagel and it was very nice, actually. So. Ooh, I have a bagel waiting for me, so... <laughs> You're opening my appetite then. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay, so let's just get started. Uh, in case you missed last Thursday's, Thursday's episode, Ian McCourt's going to be off for some time. So I'm Joana Bueno and I'm taking over. <laughs> Today on the One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Hello. And Manu Dominguez. Hi, everyone. So this is the part where I say that if you want to get in touch with us, the email is podcast at onefootball.com. And some of the stuff that Ian says really fast and I don't really can't, can't really <laughs> keep up. But, you know, we have eight teams qualified for the Champions League quarterfinals. Finally, it's starting to get interesting. And, well, unlike last, unlike last week when Porto actually knocked Juve out of the competition, we didn't really have many surprises this week, did we? No, it was pretty boring, wasn't it? Everything went as, as planned, really. Exactly. So why don't we start with your team, then? Uh, I don't want to really jinx it, but I have to ask this. Sorry. Is Man City in their best moment this season? I think so, yeah. It's, it's sort of, I'm, I'm wondering where it's going to possibly go wrong at this moment in time. They look so assured and so confident. Um, I mean, it's been it's been the case since since sort of the turn of the year, really. I think it's uh, the last 24 games, they've won 23, lost one against Man United uh, a couple of weeks ago, which which was a little bit annoying that they lost that one of all the games to lose. Um, but yeah, they're playing magnificently well so far the the Premier League title's pretty much in the bag they're into the last eight of the Champions League and I'm sort of looking at the the other teams in the draw now and thinking I don't fear anyone uh, coming up against anyone for City at the moment I think they could they could well go all the way this season um, I've definitely jinxed it now but yeah uh, yeah there's, there's just no reason not to feel confident at the moment really they're just playing so uh, such a high level I've not I've not really seen anyone else in Europe who's playing at the same level as City at the moment yeah I I, I agree with you and I really do hope we don't jinx it because it's really fun <laughs> watching them at the moment. Mm. So it has a little bit to do, I think, also with Kevin De Bruyne being back, but we have to give it to Gundogan, right? I mean, he's been amazing. What happened to him this season? Great question. Great question. I mean, I think I think his his sort of renaissance, if you like, um, began when Kevin De Bruyne was ruled out uh, with uh, with an injury in January. He he was ruled out for about six weeks, ended up being about two months. And Gundogan really stepped up during that time. He really started getting uh, getting into the box a lot more than he was. Um, you know, a lot a lot of his time at City, he he's been sort of playing as a more deeper midfield role, more of sort of defensive midfield role alongside Rodri. Now he started getting forward, getting chances. Um, He's our highest goal scorer this season. He's got 15 goals in all competitions, um, which is pretty crazy. I would never have predicted that would be the case at the start of the season, that he will be the top top scorer. And uh, yeah, he's in the form of his life, I would say. Um, you know, everyone always thinks about him him back at Dortmund uh, under Jurgen Klopp, and he was really good there as a sort of um, pivot midfielder. Um, now he's playing as an attacking midfielder, sometimes almost like a false nine. And it's, yeah, it's been it's been a real surprise because I would never have predicted that his, his City career would end up being probably our best player and I think he's probably going to win the Premier League player of the season this year and, and deservedly so. Yeah, deservedly. I have to agree with you on that as well. 
But you were mentioning the positionings and everything. He wasn't really playing midfield. He was kind of a, like a striker, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that's another surprising thing about City's form recently is that um, they are they actually play a bit better without a sort of number nine player. Um, I mean they've got they've got Gabriel Jesus, who you know a lot about, who, who's. Um, you know, done okay at times this season. Isn't always the most reliable striker when it you know comes to sort of um, he misses chances or he just tends to go missing in games sometimes. Um, Sergio Aguero has been been pretty much out injured for a whole year now. Um, he's recently come back, but he just looks a bit a bit rusty, not as sharp as he used to be. So a lot of the, a lot of the time that City have played during the, during this magnificent run of form, they played without a recognised striker. Gundogan's been playing um, high up the pitch, as I said. Uh, Bernardo Silva has been joining them. They've they've had Phil Foden on the wing and Raheem Sterling and, 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 and players like that. So, um, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne coming back has made uh, has made Pep's life a bit more difficult and he has to try and fit all these players into one team. And, and uh, what you often see is, is how they lined up on, on Wednesday, yeah, with, with Gundogan as almost like a false nine and um, or, or, or Bernardo Silva as the false nine. It's a sort of interchangeable forward line that must be really hard to defend against. Yeah, and, and you were just mentioning all these amazing players that they have in the midfield, all these options. And yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of a good headache. That's how we say it in Brazil for, yeah, for Guardiola, yeah. right? So which which is your best formation for the midfield? Because, I mean, you have to rotate these guys, but which one you think is, you know, your preferred? I think that the way they lined up against Gladbach on, on Tuesday was was pretty uh, close to, to the best sort of lineup. So you have Rodri as the holding midfielder and then you have sort of Gundogan, uh, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne as the kind of midfield three ahead of him. And then they went with Foden on the left and Mahrez on the right. Mahrez is in really good form at the moment as well. Um, Foden is, you know... Magnificent young talent who is who is looking more and more like a sort of top level established player every week at the moment. So it's kind of a choice between him and Sterling who plays at the moment on on that left hand side. So yeah, it, but bizarrely, I would say City are at the best when they play without a striker at the moment. <laughs> that that's really weird to say in a team that has yeah. you know uh, Aguero and Gabriel Jesus, even if mm. Jesus is not playing what we expect him to. But yeah, that's a strong statement, I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I, I always bet on City to, I mean, I think they're favourites every start of the season for every competition they play. And every season, I think this is their season in the Champions League. This is where they're finally going to, you know, go all the way to in the Champions League. But also every time I think they get a very easy group stage, uh, you know, the opponents in the group stage. And I think it doesn't really prepare them for the knockout stage. What do you think of that? Because, I mean... I was expecting more from Gladbach as well, but, mm. you know, Olympiacos, then Olympique Marseille was in a terrible form, then Gladbach didn't really make a strong opposition. Uh, I mean, does, it, is, does this have something to do with them not performing so well when it comes to, I don't know, next stage, maybe a Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain? Yeah, there's definitely something in that. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, the, the the group stage has been just a walk walkover for City the past few years. They've they've not had anything to worry about there. They've they just sort of breezed through it, and then uh, and last season they got Real Madrid in the in the last sixteen, which was uh, you know a tough game in in the Bernabeu, and then there was the the big two month um, you know break in the middle, the coronavirus break, and then when they came back, they they finished the job off at the Etihad, in, you know, behind closed doors, and then then played Leon in the next round, and and 
were perhaps a bit underprepared for that. I think what City's problem in the Champions League has been more, and, and, and any City fan will tell you this, is that Guardiola tends to go a bit mad when um, it comes up comes to these challenges. He, he almost like overthinks things a little bit and, and comes up with some crazy formation or some oh, yeah. crazy tactical idea. And, and that was the case against Leon last season. I remember the team news coming through for that game yeah. and everyone like, what the hell is he doing? Like, why don't we just play our best team, play the way that we've been playing all season that's been so successful? Well, it wasn't that successful last season, but... Um, yeah, that that tends to be the problem that he, he'll he'll just throw some crazy idea in there. At Liverpool in the in the Champions League a few years ago, he played Gundogan on the right wing at Anfield, and we we lost three 0 and it, it all went uh, pear shaped. So I, I guess that's the the big hope for City um, this year is that whoever they get in in the last sixty in the uh, the quarter final, sorry, uh, that Guardiola just plays the way that they've been playing all season, that's been so successful and. Um, doesn't uh, you know confuse his players by overwhelming them with with information at the last minute? Yeah, I think I think he has a history of doing that. He used to do that in yeah. Barcelona, in Bayern Munich. <laughs> All the times he got knocked out in that semi-finals in Bayern Munich, I think it was something to do with that also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So since we're talking about Bayern and everything, so what about Gladbach? What is the problem, the Borussia Mönchengladbach? Because they did a great group stage, even though you know they lost the first place to Real Madrid. But I guess that's okay. But in the in the in the Bundesliga, they haven't been doing that well either. I mean, the last nine matches they played, all competitors combined, they had one draw and eight defeats. Mm. Is is it a coincidence or did it start when uh, he was an, uh, Marco Hose was announced as the next Dortmund coach? Yeah, it, it, you kind of think it can't be a coincidence at this point, do you? Because it's it's the, the timing of it is, is as you say impeccable. You know, since since, uh, since nine matches ago, they've they've not won since they announced that uh, they made that announcement. And you kind of think, why did they make that announcement then? Why not just wait until the end of the season or you know Everybody a bit closer to the end of the season? It. Yeah, but you know, from a player's perspective, what how do you react to that if the coach? as well I'm going at the end of the season um you would probably uh naturally just kind of like you know switch off a little bit and stop quite quite running so hard for this manager quite you know wondering yeah. what you, you would have a, have a being two minds about what your future under him was and whether he was sort of like thinking about his next job a little bit and, and that kind of thing so yeah I, you have to wonder whether they could have just waited a little bit longer at least until they were perhaps knocked out the Champions League or something to to, to make this announcement and uh I wonder if I wonder what Dortmund are thinking about it. I wonder if they're getting a, a little bit of buyer's remorse as well, thinking, "God, we've hired this guy and his team are tanking now. Is do we get catfished by him or something? Is that what's happened here? I don't know." Yeah. Is it still time to cancel the contract? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anything else from this match you'd like to mention? There was just one thing at the end that that sort of uh, caused a bit of a bit of a stir on Twitter among City fans was uh, was was Sergio Aguero came on in this game. Um, he's recently come back from injury, isn't really firing on all cylinders at the moment, and he came on in this game. And there was there was footage of him coming off complaining to one of the coaches that nobody was passing to him at the end, and everyone's sort of looking at that now, going, "Well, this must be it for for Aguero at City now. Surely he's you know he's out of contract at the end of the season. Surely he's not going to get a new contract now, and he doesn't he doesn't seem to be very happy. So uh, yeah, maybe maybe Barcelona." He might be getting a, a new striker in the summer in the form of Sergio Aguero. Yeah, yeah, that that could that could happen this summer. Yeah. Let's see. Let's <laughs> keep an eye on it. Yeah. Uh, on the other match that we had on Tuesday, I was also expecting just like Gladbach. I was expecting more from Atalanta. What did you think, Mano? Yeah, actually, me too. I mean, my expectations they were so high. I think that people that they used to follow the the Serbia, they have already seeing in the last years and also this season how Atlanta plays this is this kind of crazy team that you can expect everything like 4-3, 3-4 going really fast uh, back and forward 
But actually, I don't know if it was, you know, the situation that you are playing against a really big team as Real Madrid with all of the history, or even that Real Madrid really controls very well the game, that Atalanta didn't have chances at all. I, I mean, I, as, as you say, I expect too much from, from Atalanta, at least to, you know, to put, to put in some troubles, Real Madrid, but at the end, you know, Luka Modric, Toni Kroos, they decided to control the game, to play slow, to keep the ball, and Atalanta didn't have the, the option to run. That actually is, is what, they do, what they do best, yeah. Another expression, expression that is very common in Brazil in football is the shirt is heavy. So Real Madrid's shirt is heavy. <laughs> and then you, you get Atalanta, who, of course, did a great Champions League last season. But, you know, th there's a difference of sh shirt weight over there, right? <laughs> so to me, the season, Real Madrid can be described with one word, unstable. I mean, every time you think they're finding their game, they're playing well. And then the next match, they lose to Levante or Alcoyano. They get knocked out from the Copa del Rey. Did they finally find their game? It's it's hard to say if they find their game. I think that they know their game because actually, you know, like the most important players in the team, they are the ones that they are winning for the last six, seven years. Let us say Luka Modric, Kroos, Casemiro, Ramos and Benzema. But they are actually like quite old players. Like all of them, they are older than 30 years old. Bueno, all of them not, but at least Ramos, Modric and, and Karim Benzema. And I think that they know their game, but they cannot keep the big level in every match. So what happened is with when there is like an important match, for example, that ones, those ones against Atalanta, or when they had to play against Inter and Gladbach, that they were aiming to, to the last 16 round, finally, they showed their best level. And if they showed the best level, I think that Real Madrid is one of the best five, six teams in Europe. But let us say, because I want to see those players, I want to see Luka Modric with 35 years old or Karim Benzema with 33 playing against some teams like Bayern Munich or, for example, Manchester City that, you know, like the, the intensity that they put on the match, they, it's it's quite a lot, How uh, what is going to happen. But then in La Liga, you know, in all of these matches, when you have to play against Cádiz, Alaves, Huesca, Levante, the motivation is not the same. And actually for guys like Luka Modric or Sergio Ramos to play in indoor stadiums, it could mean that, you know, they are like not at the pace performance and that's when when Real Madrid is, is struggling because other players that they used to really performing well there like for example Marco Asensio, Rodrigo Goes, Vinicius, they still they are not going this step to to put Real Madrid in in, in another level you know. I was watching the match and I was thinking that it must be so different even if there is no fans there is no crowd there is no chanting it must be so different for you to go to from Santiago Bernabeu, which is a huge stadium and beautiful and wonderful, to uh, Alfredo de Stefano that holds what, like 10,000, maybe 5,000 people. Do you think that has anything to do with their unstable performance this season? Actually, I, 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 I thought that when the season started last, last year after the, after the break, because Real Madrid already started to play Alfredo Di Stefano, but they won in a row almost every match against Valencia, Villarreal, against Sevilla, and they were able to, to, to win the league. So it was okay, it has nothing to do. But actually, I don't know, but for me as a fan, when I'm watching Champions League matches and I see those stadiums that Real Madrid is playing there, for me it's like, I don't consider it like a Champions League night. I, I don't see the feeling. So I, I think like you, that for example, for the players, they should have this impression too, because you know, you are playing in a, in a stadium that players for the third division in Spain used to play. <laughs> I don't know what is what is what is happening, but for me, it's like it's a 
a little bit sad to watch those matches in, in Alfredo Di Stefano. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think it has also an element of, you know, it doesn't really scare the opponent where you play in Santiago Bernabeu, even if there isn't 90,000 people chanting, you can't, you know, even if just by the stadium size, you can scare them a little bit. So I think it's kind of missing there. But, uh, well, it's no secret, I think, if everyone uh, has heard any of my uh, participations in the podcast, they know I'm a big Vinicius Jr. fan. <laughs> so what a match he played. I think, I think he, maybe this was his best match since that first season when, you know, Ronaldo had just left and he kind of held the team on his own. But at the same time, he needs to learn how to shoot on goal. Oh my God! What, 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 what do people talk about him in Spain? I mean, is he? What is the general opinion? Yeah, actually, in Spain, a lot of people mocking about him and make fun about him because you know he's like this kind of. We used to say this this kind of uh, of joke, like he's like kind of triathlon. You know, he's able to 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 do bicycles. He's she's able to run, but at the end, he, he nothing. You know, he does nothing. That means swimming in in Spain. You know, he's like at the end, he's not able to to score that goal, and that's the main problem that everyone is criticizing him. But this is a, an issue that I think that every football player can learn. And for example, we have a, a really big example in Manchester City, and Dan could tell us that. It's, for example, Raheem Sterling. He was mm -hmm. not probably the best guy in front of the goal, but after he got Guardiola and he started to, to learn how to, to shoot and goal easier, uh, he, he's getting like a really big number during the last two or three seasons. So in my opinion, Real Madrid fans, they should be quiet with him they should give him be patient with him because he's a different player and actually uh, as as you are joanna i'm a real vinicius fan even if i don't like real madrid i think that vinicius jr is this kind of player that is different to the other one that he changed the match he's able to shake a match when he entered because because the most important thing for him is be confident he's able to lose the ball and next time to try to the dribbling again and next time to try the, the dribbling again and actually the most important for thing for him is to keep this consistent mentality even if he's failing even if he's not scoring goals because if for example Vinicius Jr because of all of this criticism around he changed his way of playing and he decided okay I'm not gonna risk the ball we are gonna lose a very 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 big player for the next years because he needs to risk the ball because he's very good in this one against one. He's this kind of Neymar Jr. So for all of Real Madrid fans, our Brazilian fans, I just hope that Vinicius keep doing, keep doing, keep doing, because sooner or later the, the goal is going to arrive. <laughs> so then what was Sterling's uh, secret then? Do you know what he changed in order to well, hit the, the target? I mean, as a finisher, he's still quite poor, Sterling, but I think what City did with him was just kind of like work it, uh, you know, I think Guardiola especially coached him into getting into the right positions in front of the goal all the time. Like a lot of his goals are tap-ins, really, but his movement to get into those positions has always been really good. So I think it's just a case of getting him into, into positions where he can't miss most of the time, really. Just make, make easy chances for him. Yeah, well, Vinicius was about to score what we would call in Brazil a plague goal. A goal that is so beautiful that you write down a plague, you engrave it, and you put it in the stadium, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. here, Vinicius scored that amazing goal against Atalanta and whatever. Yeah. But then he missed the shot in the end. And did you guys see Sergio Ramos' reaction to it? I didn't actually, know. He was all the way back in the defense. And then when Vinicius loses the goal, he just kneels on the on the pitch and starts <laughs> punching the floor <laughs> it was such a weird miss that as well wasn't it it was like it looked almost like harder to miss 
yeah, he did the hardest parts, and yeah, exactly, the yeah. easiest was just the the shot, and yeah, that's the yeah. part he missed. Yeah, well, he yeah. needs to learn that. That's for sure. Even in the first half, I don't know if you if you remember that he had like a really big chance too that he make a. a a pass to pass with Benzema, a really quick action with Benzema, and he had all the time to shoot with the goalkeeper almost on the floor, but he it took him too long <laughs> that at the end he missed the chance. And it's something that used to happen a lot, a lot, a lot to him. And, but okay, is what we say. I mean, he's like 20 years old, and it takes time to 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 learn how to convert the goals. But at the end, he's yeah. even in his name. I have to say that in the last matches, he has provided. Very, really good assist to Benzema. That Benzema was not able to 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 get the goal. For example, against Atletico de Madrid, and at the end, you know, in Spain and everywhere, they are always asking to you, okay, how many goals did you provide this season? How many assists did you provide? Or how many goals did you score? And actually, the assist it doesn't depend all of you. So you have to give the pass. But if your if your colleague doesn't strike, at the end, it's not going to count as 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 assist. But you did a good job. And actually, Vinicius in the last two, three matches, he's doing a very good job. That's why he's playing, because otherwise we know already that Zidane maybe is not the best lover of, of Vinicius, but he's still playing because I think that Zidane is, is a smart, really smart coach, and he knows that Vinicius can is, is giving a lot, and he can, he can still give a lot to the team. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And you were mentioning Benzema, and I know that we still have a lot of matches to go, Champions League, La Liga, but... Can we already say that Benzema is the man of the season for Real Madrid? Yeah, we could say. It. Actually, in my opinion, the best one this season is being Luka Modric. He's performing incredibly, even if he's 35 years old. I don't know. I don't know what he eats at home or what he takes for breakfast because I want the same. <laughs> it's incredible because I remember the season that he won the Ballon d'Or. He did an amazing World Cup, but during the season he was not so strong, and he's and he's been this season. And for example, as well, Tony Cross is, is performing very well. So it's hard to say who has been the best this season. At the end, you know, goals are goals. And Benzema has scored already 20 goals this season. And everyone is, you know, cheering on him. But I'm really a fan of these two midfielders that, in my opinion, they are the ones who make the difference for Real Madrid. And they had made, of course, with Cristiano Ronaldo, the difference during the last years. And I would say that any of them, Cross, Modric or Benzema, could be the, the player of the season this is, uh, for Real Madrid. Well, Real Madrid is on the pitch. There's a questionable, questionable penalty. I mean, we've all seen this movie before a thousand <laughs> times. Was it really a penalty? Because to me, it was, you know, a foul and then a free kick outside the box. I would say, actually, you know that I'm not uh, really a Real Madrid fan, but I would say it was penalty because that's true that the Atalanta player, he wants to kick him out of the box with his left foot I think but he is not able to touch Vinicius so with the right he just touched him over the line and I would say that the the referee was was right in the decision but you know it was a really tough one anyway they have the option to check in the VAR but in my opinion it was it was inside just because the Atalanta player was not able to really touch Vinicius when, when he wanted to do it yeah. yeah I'm just watching it again I agree with that actually I just just about inside the box I think it was yeah yeah, well, I was watching on TV and it was showing like the replay from the same angle over and over. And I was like, this is outside the box. This is outside the box. Yeah, that's true. I mean, live, if you don't see the repetition, you know, because the def defense make the movement that he wants to, to, to do the fault outside. So if yeah. you don't see the repetition, it seems that it's outside the box. But then the, the defense, I mean, Atalanta defense, they were making mistakes the whole match. So the Atalanta defense, he made another mistake and it was inside the box. Yeah, that, and then I was like, give me for another, a different angle. And then it was really short, like one second from a different angle. I was like, 
oh, now I'm in doubt. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it would. Uh, I'll file a complaint on the broadcasting services for the Champions League that I need more replays <laughs> on Real Madrid penalty kicks. <laughs> so Real Madrid is in, but Atletico is out. And yesterday uh, we saw Chelsea beat Atletico for the second time. And I'm guessing at the beginning of the season or maybe even after the draw, none of us were really expecting this result, right? I mean, is that the mm. Tuchel effect? What's, what, what went wrong and what actually went right with Chelsea? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I'm sure Manu can explain a bit more than me why, why Atletico was so disappointing here. I was expecting a bit more from them over both legs, really. But yeah, def- definitely the Tuchel effect. I think he's he's done an amazing job there so far. Um, I mean, we, we were talking a little bit um, on the Premier League podcast earlier this week about whether he's almost been a bit too extreme with his kind of defensive approach. I mean, they haven't con- they've conceded two goals in 13 matches now, I think it is, since he took over. And one of those was an own goal from Antonio Rudiger. So it's only one goal, really, that they, they've conceded, um, which is pretty incredible. Incredible, considering that you know this was a team that uh, you know personnel-wise doesn't have the best defense in Europe um, and and was was performing really badly defensively under Frank Lampard. Um, so he's got them really you know uh, defending really well. Um, Atletico never really looked like scoring over over either of these legs. And uh, and and once you've got a good defense, it's a really good solid foundation to build on. And with all that attacking talent. Um, they are they are starting to sort of re- reap the rewards, and it was it was you know a perfect um, Champions League performance, I would say, over the two legs. The first leg was um, was really well managed, and I think Simeone was quite happy to play for a nil nil draw there until Olivier Giroud popped up with that um, brilliant bicycle kick, and then in the second leg, it was two really sharp, incisive counter attacking goals that won it for Chelsea. So yeah, great performance from them, and you know I think they could potentially be a bit of a, a dark horse in the in the Champions League now. Yeah, I think we can expect more from them in the in the coming matches. But yeah. my, my favorite part of the game, actually, you're talking about the defense. And it was a defender, but not on the pitch. Thiago mm-hmm. Silva celebrating the second goal. I mean, yeah. he really is a Chelsea player and he's really into it now, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, he's the, he's the captain there and he, he was, yeah, he was out injured for this game, as you said. And he was coaching them from from the stand the whole game. I think he was up in, in the second tier at, at Stamford Bridge and was shouting down to the pitch. You could actually hear him during the broadcast at some times and they kept showing him in the crowd, sort of sat on his feet, you know, coaching the defensive line where they should be and all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, when, when Emerson scored that second goal to clinch it at the end, he, he really enjoyed that one, didn't he? Yeah, I have to say that I think Thiago Silva is more of a Chelsea captain than he was ever of a Brazilian national team captain. <laughs> yeah, you guys don't like him over there, do you? Is that right? <laughs> I have a bad feeling with him since the 2014 World Cup That's when there right, was yeah. penalty kicks and he, he kind of, you know, ran away from the penalty shootouts. And <laughs> uh, I really do think he's a great defender, but I have a problem with him since that match, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> but then on the other side of the pitch, uh, Ziyech finally showed some football, right? I mean, I haven't seen him play that well since he went to Chelsea. No, yeah, I think this was probably his best game for Chelsea, definitely. Yeah, he took, took the goal really well, although I think uh, Jan Oblek might have been dis- a bit disappointed about letting it go through his legs, that first goal. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think the link-up with, with him and ha- uh, with, with Ziyech, um, Havertz and, and Werner is looking really good now. I think, you know, particularly under Frank Lampard, Chelsea were uh, perhaps a little bit kind of um, stuck in their ways in the idea of, of playing with like a traditional number nine and Tammy Abraham has been playing um, as that sort of, uh, that, in that position for most of the time with Werner coming in, in off the left. And I think, Tuchel has now realised that he plays this kind of 4-3-4 four, 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 uh, four, 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 sorry, 3-4-3 three, three formation. 
God, that was hard. <laughs> uh, with Werner on the left and Havertz is kind of the false nine and Ziyech on the right and they linked up really well um, during this game and, and a, a little bit like City, I think you know they, they might actually be a team who, who performs a bit better without this this number nine focal point with a bit more uh, creativity coming from midfield and it's about you know getting your, getting your players into the right positions and getting them coming onto the end of things like uh, like ZX did and and yeah you know the, his his Chelsea career was looking a little bit doubtful uh, a few weeks ago there was some talk that you know it hadn't worked out there and would he be looking for a move away this summer but. On this evidence, it looks like uh, they've got the man that they they went for and that everyone was so excited about signing last last year. So, yeah, long may it continue for them. Yeah, well, exactly. So Chelsea didn't, you know, they couldn't hire anyone and then they hired everyone last summer. <laughs> yeah. And and we weren't really expecting, we weren't really getting what we expected from them. But I think maybe the change of coach had a change in the way they're playing or their motivation because we're finally seeing what these guys were hired for, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are sort of saying with, with Werner and Havertz that, oh, they've got a German-speaking coach now, so that must be helping them. And I'm sure it does. I mean, I think they both speak perfect English, so I don't think the language was ever a problem, but I'm sure there's perhaps a bit of a, a better understanding than uh, with Tuchel. And I, I think, you know, let's be honest, Tuchel is just a much better coach than Frank Lampard. You know, he's a, he's a world-class coach and Frank Lampard is, is a decent coach, but, but not at that level. So he's really bringing the best out of those players. And, you know, N'Golo Kante has sort of gone under the radar a little bit recently. He's been he's been really good for Chelsea. He's another guy who sort of looked like his Chelsea career was 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 uh, frittering out a little bit, really. And, and he, he's really stepped up and been playing really well. Kovacic alongside him has been really good in midfield as well. Um, they're playing with the wing-backs. So Alonso and, and Rhys James have been great. And then, uh, you know, Antonio Rudiger again, who's another one whose Chelsea career hasn't gone perfectly over the time he's been at the club, but he's he's in really good form at the moment and playing really well. And the goalkeeper is is uh, very trustworthy as well. He's been keeping clean sheets like like nobody's business. And you know they've gone from having Kepa, who was like really struggling there, to a solid, uh, safe pair of hands in goal. So yeah, they, they they look strong all over the pitch. And I think next season could be when when Chelsea really really step up and really start going for it. They they'll try and finish in the top four this season, try and go as far as they can in the Champions League, and then maybe a few uh, uh, more additions in the transfer market over the summer, and they could really push for push for the title next season. Yeah, well, that's a strong statement, but mm. I, I hope so because I want to see more excitement in that title yeah. title race. <laughs> On the other hand, what's wrong with Atletico, Manu? I mean, we were expecting more and they didn't really look like they needed to score two goals at some point. No, no. I mean, in the first match, I think that Atletico did a good job. But in the second match, for me, the most surprising thing that was that Atletico was less intense than Chelsea. And it doesn't mean that Chelsea is not a team that... It, can be intense because, you know, I mean, Tuchel is, is a very good coach and they have like a very good players. But actually, if we think what Simeone's team represents when they have to play like important matches in Champions League, it's, it's about intensity. It's about this, okay, we want we to win more than the other ones. And I didn't have that feeling. I mean, Atletico was not, was not, was losing every ball when there was a, a fight. I mean, every divided ball, there was always, uh, it was catched always for a Chelsea's player. And in my opinion, Atletico started to lose the match there because they were not able to to make any high pressure. So Chelsea was putting Atletico team really far away from the goal. And when you have a striker like Luis Suarez that he's not able to survive uh, far away from from the goal, at the end these these things these things happen. Atletico didn't have chance at all, and that's why even I I a little bit understood that uh, Simeone decided to to take uh, to change Luis Suarez actually after 60 minutes. It was a, a, a complicated decision, but actually Luis Suarez was far away from the goal. 
you could understand that you need something different. Exactly. But then at the same time, you got Suarez with this amazing top score everywhere he goes, even though, I mean, he hasn't scored an away goal, uh, an away goal, no, go in an away match in the Champions League in the last 25 games, I think, right? But, Seven years, I think it is, isn't it, in total as well? It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, th that's actually unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> when you think of Suarez and that before that he was playing for Barcelona with Messi and then before that with Neymar and everything. So uh, hard to believe, but true. Yeah. At the same time, Suarez is one of the top scorers of the last 10 years, one of the best scorers. If you need two goals to go through, shouldn't you just keep him there, hope that he, you know, he gets this one strike of talent and scores a goal? Yeah, when I see when I saw the number nine that he was going to be the one who left the pitch, for me it was kind of unbelievable because, as you say, mm -hmm. I mean, you need two goals. You have your best striker. Actually, almost every goal in, in La Liga is, it had been scored by, by Luis Suarez. But Atletico Madrid was so far away from the goal that they were not able to create the chance. So I think that what Simeone thought is, okay, right now I'm far away from the goal. I don't know how I'm going to try to reach that area, that final 20% of, of the pitch in order to be close to Mendy. Let us try with, with Dembélé and let us keep Joao Félix. I think that Simeone had to decide at that moment, okay, Joao Félix or Luis Suarez, because I cannot keep both, because Marcos Llorente is your top player uh, at that time of the season when you are talking about, I mean, is it the, in the best form for, uh, so far. And yeah, it was difficult to believe. Actually, for as you, as I said, for one side, I understood what Simeone wanted to do. But from the other side, okay, if after that change you are able to put your team close to the goal, who is going to score the goal if Suarez is not on the pitch? So it was really difficult to to to, to imagine Atletico de Madrid scoring two goals with with Suarez on the bench. That's exactly my thoughts. I mean, I have always said if you have a player that is out of the ordinary, like Suarez or Messi or whatever, even if they're having a bad day, just keep them on, you know? Maybe they'll do something out of nowhere. But I guess Simeone doesn't really agree with me. No, and even Suarez didn't agree with the change because I don't know if you see his face. When he, he wasn't very number. happy. No, he wasn't very <laughs> happy. And actually, I have read that there is some images that he's kind of complaining because of the change. And we will see how Atletico managed that. But I think that Simeone, of course, was looking the best for, for the team. And, and he decided to give, you know, this opportunity to, to Joao Felix, like, okay, we know that you are, let us say, more creative and maybe you can create something different in, in front of the area. But even Joe Felix, that in my opinion, he did a good job, but he was not able to, to change the, the final result. Well, and then at some point we saw Atletico like in the league, in the La Liga, seven points ahead of the second place. They had two last matches, which meant they could be you know, further down ahead. And now everyone has 27 matches and they're only, well, let's put it between, you know, some... Uh, some quotation, mark, quotation marks, they're only four points ahead of Barcelona, who is, you know, improving in the last few matches, uh, unlike the Barcelona from the beginning of the season. Can Atletico still make it in La Liga? I mean, they are like four points ahead. They still have to visit the Camp Nou. But in my opinion, Barcelona has a tough calendar because Barcelona has to play this Sunday they played away against Real Sociedad. Still, they have to visit Alfredo Di Stefano to play in that amazing stadium against against, <laughs> against, against Real Madrid. So, I don't know. In my opinion, Atletico is the 
the favorite, especially because they don't have to play Champions League now. But that's true that Barcelona is in a very top form. Barcelona has won 16 from the last 17 matches or 15 from the last 16 matches. I, I don't remember now. And Atletico de Madrid, what it was not sustainable was to keep the numbers from the first half of the season because Atletico de Madrid only dropped seven points in the first half of the season. It's unbelievable. The media was, the average was to do 100 points. So actually it was clear that Atletico was going to go a little bit down. But what actually surprised me is that Barcelona did so well from, from January. So if Barcelona is able to keep uh, with the new formation, is able to keep stable with the numbers, I think that they could manage. But I don't know, I, I wouldn't like to forget Real Madrid because I have I have I have seen that a lot of times that Real Madrid isn't doing a good season and Real Madrid is struggling, but at the end the last ten matches they win, Sergio Ramos score every corner kick and there are a couple of penalties, weird penalties around, and Real Madrid win the league. So I don't wanna forget that Real Madrid still have chances there. And for me it's the thing with the easiest calendar because they have to play at home against Barcelona and they don't have any difficult uh, away match so we will see we will see i think that the, the the la liga race is quite open yeah we actually saw this description of real madrid last season right nobody <laughs> would bet on real madrid and then in the end they kind of got the league because i think nobody else wanted so i couldn't yeah. help but thinking during this game manu you might disagree with me here but um i couldn't help but thinking that if, if atletico were the best team in la liga this season la liga mustn't be in in great shape you know what i mean no, no, not at all. There is a discussion that I had with Ian three or four podcasts ago when it was like the first, uh, the first leg of this uh, uh, last 16 round, because actually it's what it is. I think that in Spain we have the impression, okay, Barcelona and Real Madrid, we are always the best teams because we have Messi, we have Cristiano, we have Benzema. But I think that the level of, Bar of La Liga and the intensity how we play in La Liga is really, really slow. We play a lot with the ball, but no, there, is, there is no intensity at all. And actually, when you go to play against Borussia Dortmund, you go to play against Mbappé, PSG or English teams, at the end you have to face this kind of go and back, go and back, go and back and 100% intensity. Mm. And Spanish teams, they are not able to, to, to reach. That's true that, for example, in my opinion, Sevilla did an amazing job in, in Dortmund and Barcelona played very well in Paris, but in my opinion, La Liga is not right now. I don't think so that they can be at the same level than Premier League, of course, and even mm. I wouldn't say that Bundesliga. I think that Bundesliga is a better level than La Liga right now. Wow. I, I have also the impression that Simeone has done everything he could for Atletico. You know, they put them in a different level. They play Champions League final, Europa League. They, they've won a, a league title few years ago but you know they can still make it to, uh, this year but at the same time it, hasn't he accomplished everything that he could isn't it time for him to move on do you think that maybe if they don't win La Liga if you know they're gonna break up what I'm sure is they break, if they break up Simeone is gonna be a successful coach wherever he moves and Atletico Madrid is gonna go down because I don't mm -hmm. think so that is going to be any coach in the world that they can bring to Atletico de Madrid what Simeone brought to them. That's true that maybe he did already his job because actually it's more difficult to reach something better. He won La Liga, he won Copa del Rey, and he reached two Champions League finals. But, I mean, for all of my Atletico de Madrid friends that I have, all of them, they say the same. I, we wish that we could keep Simeone because he makes the difference of us. Because at the end, right now we are talking about one Atletico de Madrid, which is four points... Uh, ahead of uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid but actually if you compare the squads it's it's difficult to say that you know 
10 years. It's, it's difficult to say that Atletico Madrid was really made it to compete against against Barcelona and Real Madrid because yeah, a lot of people say, yeah, they spent 120 million in, in Joao Felix. Yeah, but they spent that money because they got that money to sell their base play, player to uh, Barcelona, for example. So at the end, it's always a team which never spend more money than they get. And I think that only because of Simeone, only because this idea about, okay, every match is a different match, let us go forward but step by step, I think that is the only way that they can compete. Um, I, I want to see how Barcelona is going to work without Messi, and actually I want to see how Atletico Madrid is going to work with, with, without Simeone, because it's actually is, is their, their Lionel Messi. Yeah, good point there. And I, I left the most, well, let's put it that way, boring match to the end. <laughs> Bayern Lazio, another victory, another win. Well, actually, Lazio even scored, we would call an honor goal, you know, not to go home <laughs> without any goals. But no really surprises, right? I mean, are Bayern still the super favorite? Or, or maybe should I put it this way, going back to the beginning of the episode then, who can stop Bayern? Do you think City is the one? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm looking at the list of teams that are left in it, and, and like I said, I don't really fear anybody who's left in it, but I would say that I do fear Bayern the most. Uh, I do think that they are, you know, still the best team in Germany quite comfortably, um, although the table doesn't make it look as comfortable as it usually is at the moment, but I think they are, and I think, uh, you know, definitely up there with the best teams in Europe. I mean, they... they Lazio are not in the, not in great shape at the moment and, and aren't the same team that they were last season, but they still, you know, Bayern just sidestep this one with, with consumer ease really. So um I wouldn't fancy playing them at any point um during during the, the, the knockout phase of the Champions League because you know they've got so much experience, so much quality that they could they could beat anyone. So it wouldn't surprise me greatly at all if they went all the way and won it again this season, actually. True, true. What what do you think, Manu? Are Bayern still the super favourites? Yeah, I agree with both of you. My opinion is unstoppable. Actually, I have not, unfortunately, I have not watched so many Manchester City matches as I would like because I'm very Guardiola's fan, but I have watched so many Bayern Munich matches this season and it's sometimes they have like a, bad, a tough day, of course, a bad day. But yeah, I mean, this, when they are arriving from the wingers with uh, Sane, Coman, Gnabry, Lewandowski in the goal, they have as well Leon Goretzka and Thomas Muller. I don't know. I think that actually I'm looking forward to watch Bayern Munich against Manchester City, maybe not in the quarterfinal because I think it could be too early, but maybe in the semifinals because they it would give us the option to to watch twice in, instead of one, because I think it's going to be nowadays is the best match that we can watch in in Europe. I think everyone should be praying for a, a Bayern City final personally. I think that would be such a high level, high quality, intense final that uh, probably be the best one we've seen for many years. I would say that is a final I would like to watch <laughs> yeah. definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I just say semi-final because they give us the option to watch twice. To watch oh, yeah, good yeah, one. That's true. <laughs> good one, Manu. But that's true that, I mean, the, they are the, the two best teams and actually the best teams, they should be the ones that they, they play the final. And it's curious because I didn't know that. I don't know if that happened last year as well. But we are going to know tomorrow which one is going to be the semi-finals as well. I mean, they are like the completely road is going to be is going to be selected. Nice. Right, yeah. Well, anything else you guys like to mention about this match? Because I didn't see any important talk point, talking points there. No, not really. I, I was watching the, the, the two games on, on Wednesday night on the the, uh, the conference on, on Sky Sports, which for people outside Germany, it's like a simulcast of both games where they flick between the two games. And every time they kept showing the Bayern game, I was like, no, go back to the Chelsea Atletico <laughs> game. It's way more interesting. So, yeah, I, th I think it was done and dusted in the first leg, wasn't it? Well and truly. And, and Bayern just had to finish the job in the second leg. And it kind of made me feel like... Um, 
I really enjoyed the the sort of one-legged ties in the Champions League last season, you know, yeah. when they just had to get it all done. And it kind of made me think, can we, can we go back to that? Would that make things a bit more interesting if we didn't have two-legged ties in the Champions League anymore? I don't know. Yeah, I thought about that as well. I mean, mm. the, this matches this week and last week, none of them were really, really exciting. But, no. but at the same time, we now have the, the, the quarterfinals are coming and I think things are starting to heat up. We got Liverpool, mm. Paris Saint-Germain, Porto, which is maybe the intruder there. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Manchester City. I know that the draw is not until tomorrow. And like Manu said, we're going to have all the road to the final defined. But who do you guys think out of these uh, can make it to the final? We already talked that uh, Bayern, Manchester City would be the, the best one of them all. But who do you think can make it? Manu, do you want to go first? <laughs> Wow, it, it's tough. I mean, the two favorites, probably Bayern and, and Manchester City. For example, I have not watched too much, so many Liverpool matches this season, and that's true that they are struggling a lot in Premier League, but, I mean, Jurgen Klopp is, is Jurgen Klopp. And then, for example, I'm actually a Neymar Junior fan, and he's coming back, and I'm wishing that he could show, finally, actually he did last, last season, in my opinion, but he could at least made some good performance as well or in quarterfinal or in semi-final so I don't know but I would go for Bayern Munich in my opinion he's the, the, the most favoured one mm, I would say City maybe that's my bias showing just about <laughs> maybe the lack of experience at this stage might be what holds them back ultimately um, Liverpool yeah like you say I, would, I wouldn't you know be happy about being drawn against them but I just think their defensive issues you know their injury issues could be a problem when it comes against up against a real top quality team. Paris Saint-Germain did a great job against Bayern Munich uh, against Barcelona. Sorry, were, were, were you know really good in that first leg, particularly. Um, but then they lost to Nantes at the weekend in Liga, and so you kind of think they're they're a bit uh, unpredictable. Porto, I mean, I don't really expect expect them to go much further. Um, they'll probably knock City out in the next round and make me look sh completely stupid. People can remind me of that if they like. Um, Dortmund, yeah, I mean Dortmund is is sort of. Erling Haaland FC at the moment, isn't it? So exactly. I'm not really sure how, how much further he can carry them through this tournament, but you That's never know. The best definition I've seen. Yeah, and then Bayern, Real Madrid, uh, always, you know, frightening prospect to play against. So either of them could, could do something, especially Bayern, uh, less so Real Madrid. And then Chelsea, yeah, I, I could see Chelsea being a potential dark horse. Like I said earlier, I, I could see them maybe, maybe getting, getting as far as the semi-final. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, in knockout stage, uh, everything can happen, of course, and this mm. is cliche, but I would put Bayern and City a little bit above them, and I'm going to bet my chips on City, Dan. So, Thank you. Yeah, I, I think not only are they playing amazing, but they're on the rise. So I think motivationally, you know, you're like improving your game and playing better and better. That makes a difference in a, in a tournament like that. Mm. It will almost be a bit of a shame if this is the year that City do win it, though. If they, you know, they've waited all this time to, to get this far, and now you know we watch it, and there's there might there might be what ten thousand fans at the stadium in Istanbul if they're allowed to go there, and if not, it might be played behind closed doors. It will be a bit of a bit of a weird way to win that first Champions League, but I'll take it if it happens. <laughs> you can celebrate at home with your bottle of champagne. That's exactly. Fine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's wait for the draw and see how it goes. And thanks a lot, guys.